Hey, it's Jesse. NPR is doing its annual survey to better understand how listeners like you spend time with podcasts. So please help us out by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash podcast survey. That's all one word. We would really appreciate your help to support NPR podcasts. That's npr.org slash podcast survey. All one word. Thanks. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Next up on the show, my conversation with Ryan O'Connell, recorded last year. Ryan is the creator and star of the show Special, which is streaming on Netflix. It's loosely based on a book that Ryan wrote in 2015 called I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. Both the book and the television series draw directly from Ryan's life. Ryan has cerebral palsy. He calls it CP for short. It's a congenital disorder that can affect someone's movement, muscle tone, or posture. For Ryan, that mostly means a limp. When Ryan was 20, he left his hometown and started college in New York. It was a chance to start over. Instead of telling folks he had cerebral palsy, he said he had been hit by a car, which was true. He had been. But Ryan thought it was easier and maybe more relatable to chalk his condition up to a car crash than explain his CP over and over again to new acquaintances. In fact, he's often said in interviews that it was harder to come out of the closet as disabled than it ever was to come out of the closet as gay. So Ryan wrote about it, first in articles, then the book, and now on the TV show, Special. Season one of the show tackles Ryan's coming to terms with his disability. In the newest season, he learns to be more accepting of himself. He dates, he hooks up, he writes for a blog called Eggwoke, he generates listicles and personal essays. It's all pretty standard fare for a sitcom about millennials in L.A., But Special's depiction of disability on screen is groundbreaking. It shows the intersection of disability and sexuality in a way that we rarely see on TV. And it does it in a way that is funny and relatable. What follows is a conversation with Ryan O'Connell conducted by our friend Ray Suarez. Ray is, of course, a veteran journalist, as well as a big fan of Special. But before we get into the interview, as we said... Uh, Special talks pretty frankly about sex, and you'll hear that in this interview. If you or someone you're listening with is sensitive to that subject, we thought we'd let you know. Okay, with that out of the way, let's listen to a clip from Special. In this scene from the second season, Ryan's working from home, and his new boyfriend, Tanner, interrupts him. Guess what we're doing today? I don't know, writing until my brain feels like gibbity-gobbity-goop. <laughs> I got his tickets to the Malibu Wine Safari. Wait, is that when you go, like, wine tasting with zebras? And a bisexual giraffe named Stanley. Animals identifying as bisexual is so important. Representation matters. I agree. But I can't. I gotta work on my disability article today. Come on. All work and no rosé makes Ryan a dull boy. (laughs) Oh, okay, fine. I'm in. Woo! Yeah, he's in. It takes all of season two to write that article. More on that later. Ryan O'Connell, great to have you with us. Thank you. I didn't even realize that, that it took the entire season for him to write one article. But honey, talk about relatable. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
I've just finished season two. You obviously finished it a long time ago. You happy? Um, <laughs> wow, so Herbie fully loaded. Yes, I am happy. I'm also really happy to be in a studio wearing like oversized headphones. Like I feel like my voice immediately goes to like a Terry Gross, like sedated vibe for NPR and I just love it. So yeah. Welcome back to normal. I'm glad I could have you. <laughs> Thank you. Is there another season? No, we got canceled. <laughs> Because your your final scene, this the out scene, uh, leaves us in a place where we could go on forever or happily bring the curtain down. And you're saying B happened. B happened because, well, we got renanceled. We got renewed and canceled in the same phone call. And what I'll say about that is that it allowed us to kind of craft a complete season. I think I would have been very upset if... I didn't know about a season two or three if I was left hanging. So I actually really appreciated the cancellation up front because I was able to really just craft a complete story. And to me, I think the characters end where they should, you know, end. Well, for people who watch season one, Ryan, uh, the character Ryan, who's based on the human being Ryan, has gone from relationship training wheels to someone increasingly confident, increasingly dateable, increasingly partnered. It feels like a lot happened between season one and two. Uh, did he start exuding pheromones, get therapy, switch cologne? What happened? Yeah, I think his d- grew like 10 inches. And just like, yeah, I think like, you know, spiritually and maybe literally, I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, Should think- be easy to check. <laughs> yeah, I know. Gosh, darn it. No, I think, I think you know, he came out about his cerebral palsy at the end of season one. And I think he does feel this kind of renewed sense of confidence. I mean, in the first episode, the boy that he's smooching with asks about cerebral palsy and he's like, and he's just like, Ugh, I don't know, babe, just Google it. Cause I wrote about it. Like I actually really, really relate to that because I also came out of the disabled closet via an article. And whenever anyone asked me about my CP from there on out, I was just like, babe, you can go to the article. It's right there. So I don't have to do the emotional labor for you, honey. So that part of the, character Ryan storyline that he hid behind the story of a car accident. That's true. That really happened to you? Yeah, that's ripped from the headlines. I got hit by a car when I was 20, but IRL, it was actually like VV traumatic. I was in the hospital for a month. I casually had six surgeries, but I did move to New York to go to school and everyone just assumed my limp was from my car accident. And I thought a light bulb went off and I was just like, wow, I can be an accident victim. That's so much more <laughs> oh, relatable than someone with cerebral palsy. Because, you know, I mean, any of us could get hit by a car. Gosh, I hope we don't. But it could happen. And people know what that means. Whereas cerebral palsy is confusing to people. They don't know what it means. They don't know how it looks on other, you know, and it looks different on everybody. You know, you can dress it up. You can dress it down. It goes from mild to wild. So to me, I felt like I kind of, uh, you know, stumbled upon this amazing shortcut, this life hack, if you will. But it just ended up actually hacking my life into pieces. Did people as who came to know you through the series want to understand better where the character and the guy overlap, or was there just an assumption that basically it's your your life story and you just wrote it down on paper and shot it? Is it important to know? I think so. I mean, I think when people think that this is just me and I like wrote a diary entry and then somehow magically turned it into a two season television show, I think um, <laughs> I think that makes uh, you not realize how much hard work went into <laughs> and that the television show is its own medium and it's about structure and storylines and seeding things and paying them off. No, I mean, 
this character to me feels very, very fictional. I emotionally relate to the character of Ryan very deeply. I think Ryan is a character who is figuring out how to take up space in a world that isn't built for him. And I think his journey is about, you know, gaining the confidence of Rob Schneider in the late 90s. Um, and I I deeply, deeply relate to that journey. But in terms of like the specifics of his life, in terms of like him living with his mom since he was 28, in terms of him being a virgin till he was 28, in terms of having no friends, I don't relate to that. I was always popular. I was always and I had tons of friends. Can I curse on this? Did I... I even ask. You know, I'm not. I'm not sure. I will have to talk to uh, standards and practices about okay. that. God bless. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> they have their work cut out for them, don't they, babe? <laughs> well, seriously, I want people to watch this and be thinking about this because you do want us to know things, to get things. It's not a documentary series on millennial disability, but it does try to hip people who are just unaware, not hostile, not indulgent, just unaware of what goes on in a life like yours, both character Ryan and real-life human being Ryan. How do you do that with a light enough touch that we still get entertained, but you still accomplish that purpose? Yeah, well, I think that's always been inherently my way in terms of my work. I always say I want to cover the vegetables in sugar, like tons of sugar. So like you're chowing down on something that you think is like a hot fudge sundae and you're like, yum, 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 yum. But like, whoops, I secretly put like a mountain of kale in there and you're getting your vegetables, honey. I just think that like when you don't use comedy, it can often feel very didactic and very like, this is what you should know. And I think in terms of like representation and identity in TV, I think we often get bogged down in the politics and to me to me that doesn't really do the work in terms of like normalizing our existence and I don't know I just that's not how I process information like I just like I'm not that girl so um I'm very very conscious that yes I want you to learn something but I want to do it through sneaky law ways even the title special it's a euphemism that sometimes grates. It's part pandery and part condescending. And yet it is absolutely spot on when it comes to this show, because it's, it's both poking you in the ribs and winking at you at the same time. It's actually a, a shorter version of something you had written before, isn't it? Oh, it's based on my book, which is I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. And then my producer, Eric Norsoff, was like, why don't we just call it Special? And I really love that, except for when you say you have a show called Special on Netflix, they go, like a Netflix special? And you're like, well, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah there is that. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, oopsie. <laughs> but I still stand by it. I think it's a really great title. And I think, I think we're reclaiming that word because I think... Uh, Special is a word that is often used to infantilize uh, disabled people, and um, I'm just trying to make it chic again, you know? More with Ryan O'Connell after the break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to my colleague Ray Suarez's conversation with Ryan O'Connell, creator and star of the TV sitcom Special, you can watch both seasons of the show on Netflix. One thing that you're able to do on Netflix is be more frank about human beings' actual sex lives. And one thing that distinguishes special is that 
we go through uh, losing virginity, uh, sex scenes that are frank, affectionate, and sexy. Uh, they were also the first gay sex scenes that were that frank that I have seen on a small screen. When you're taking the audience somewhere new, even if it's an audience that's open to the experience, do you have to talk it out with other stakeholders in, in the Netflix universe? Does somebody have to get a memo saying, hey, you know, you should know that we're going to do this? Or do you just deliver it? Oh, my God. Absolutely not. First of all, it's so nice to be on a streamer because I'm not in the chokehold of Kraft macaroni and cheese or, you know, bounty paper towels or Charmin Ultra, <laughs> um, you know, because they don't have advertisers. So who literally gives a it's actually insane that like people had to literally like produce their content based upon the needs of like hamburger helper like truly are there any darker times so yeah i just got to do whatever the i wanted i mean netflix sort of knew the deal they knew i wanted to tackle gay sex they knew that you know this was a big important part of ryan's story because as a disabled person i felt like you know i came out of the womb and my was chopped off by society and i feel like my whole life has been me searching for that and then putting it back on so yeah it was really important to me that we don't shy away from the sexuality aspect of it um and we really go for it you know not only do we push the envelope but we all over it do you know what i mean i do know what you mean uh i'm wondering about what would i say choreography camera yes. angles uh -huh. um we get to be present as an audience for the pillow talk about negotiation, about topping and bottoming. There's repartee about intercourse, but no genitals. Are there rules? Are there creative choices that have to be made around this? <laughs> no, I'm obsessed. Oh my God, you're really getting into the nitty gritty. I'm addicted. Okay, so um, no, I mean, first of all, I mean, I just never wanted to show my penis. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Even that's though, fair. Even though I have been searching for it my entire life and I have put it back on. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, my, you know, I we definitely show a lot of skin. I've never, we actually never really discussed a penis moment. I mean, I'm sure like my actors would have been, some of them would have been okay with it. I just never thought of it, TBH. I guess it's my blind spot. Um, but I will say in terms of the sex scenes, like, what was such a g-damn delight was hiring all gay actors because if I had to describe the mechanics of gay sex to a straight actor, I would have deleted years off my life. Like I would have just been literally a pile of ashes on the bed and we wouldn't have been able to shoot the scene because life is too short. Am I right, honey? <sighs> um, <laughs> we, you know, shooting with gay actors is a certain kind of uh, common ground, uh, a foundation, if you will, that we can share. So, um, so that was really, really helpful in shooting those scenes. And I was also just really lucky that like the people that I shot with were just like so incredible. Like I remember, um, Jeremy Glazer who fetishizes me in episode two, spoiler alert. Um, it was the first time I met him and we just had to go from hello, nice to meet you to like, I love your f scars. Um, so that was like a jump, you know, but Jeremy was like so generous and so kind and like, Sex scenes are so weird and, like, not fun. And, like, the best way to get through them is just to have a scene partner that, like, will just be there for you. I know it sounds, like, kind of corny, but it's true because it's so vulnerable. And so I really lucked out in, A, hiring all gay actors, but also hiring gay actors that were just, like, so ready to go there and kind of help me through. Because now, um, I, the, every now and then, I read in the, in the Union magazine 
that there are now sort of handholders, uh, wranglers on set. What are they called? Intimacy coaches? Yeah, intimacy coordinators. We inti- had those. We had yeah. one. We had an intimacy coordinator. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, <laughs> what are they doing? Are they applauding at the end of the scene? I, what What exactly do they have to talk people through? Because I, I'm sure they appear on movie sets as well and uh, certainly in um, non-gay uh, sex scenes. What is it that uh, we want them there for? And what is it that we're trying to make sure does not happen? I think they're extremely helpful. I mean, thinking about how before you would just have like a straight guy with like a hot actress and just be like left to their own devices. I can't imagine the creepy positions women were put in like literally and emotionally um, with no one to advocate for them. I think that sex scenes are really intense and everyone's comfort level is different and you might not feel comfortable even sharing that comfort level with your scene partner. You know what I mean? There's just a lot of, it's a, it's a really, really vulnerable thing. So I think um, they serve as a conduit, you know, sometimes and there's someone to talk to and kind of voice your concerns, your anxieties or whatever. I know that, you know, my intimacy coordinator helped me put my cock sock on. So I'm hashtag grateful for that because, you know, my disabled like had a hard time with the hand-eye coordination of it all. A cock sock is like, uh, it's a pouch for your penis. So it can like stay in and not fall out. Um, but I think, again, I think it's, I think it's different for everybody. I mean, besides the cock sock of it all, I didn't I didn't need that much guidance. And also I was shooting, you know, I, I was in communication with my co-stars, blah, blah, blah. But again, again it's, uh, it's different for everybody. And I'm just, I'm really grateful that they're there because before that there was no safe space to check in with someone. And I'm sure people had really unpleasant experiences because of that, um, particularly women. Because, you know, we all know straight men are typically trash, but... Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, that sorry. we may have to bleep out. That part we may have to bleep out. <laughs> NPR revolts. <laughs> it's just all of the, like people's radios explode in their cars or wherever they wake up. <laughs> no, not this. <laughs> You've gone too far. <laughs> one, one, we see a lot of sex accumulatively over all the episodes. Well, maybe not a lot but more than we see actual work. And it is kind of kind of fun and kind of funny that the young people who populate the world of special in the club, in the office, live pretty well for people who don't seem to be working up much of a sweat. Um, they're dressed beautifully. They go to bars and they eat out and they, they're they're having they're having a great old time, and California is a really expensive place to be. If they're living in group houses, if they're sleeping in their cars, I didn't see it in the in the show. Was there a, a, a decision to just let that part of life slide because we had a lot of other business to get taken care of in the in the dialogue of special, and we just weren't going to spend too much time on that. Totally. I mean, I think I was focused on like the disabled representation and I was concerned about like what the receptionist at Eggwoke was making and if she lived in a condo or an apartment. <laughs> you know, creatively, I, de- I creatively, I decided to let that one go. <laughs> it wasn't, I, I let myself, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be kept up at night to see, to know what the receptionist was doing and why she could afford to, <laughs> to be in uh to be in a, uh, you know, Isabel Morant top. <laughs> 
Well, I'm only half teasing because the world of work is a funny thing on television. Uh, Ricky Ricardo was a nightclub owner, but we never got the sense that he got up at four o'clock in the afternoon and stayed up till four o'clock in the morning. Rob Petrie was a comedy writer, and we never saw him either with writer's block or particularly working hard at writing comedy. Uh, Robert Young's character in Father Knows Best sold insurance. I doubt he ever had a bad day at the office. From what I can remember, we barely saw their work, and we never saw what was hard about work. And it was never shown on screen. And as far as I could tell, it took two seasons for Ryan to finish two articles. And even though there's little precise marking of time, every time the publisher came by, I thought she was going to say, don't you guys do any work? Like, she get did. the hell out of here. Did you she watch did, it? But she then, did. That's all she said. That it's literally all she said. But then she, she took Funny. the cockamamie answers and went back to her office. That was the wild well, part. Well, she's also someone who, like, paid, did a payout for one of the interns for walking in on her doing God knows what. She's not exactly a grounded character, honey. She <laughs> she sang the wedding march, for God's sakes, in a black gown. This is when you, this is when, this is when we cross the line. This is the way the line is drawn as if by the way i feel like we do tackle money with kim because she's in so much debt she's in so much debt trying to keep up with the joneses and like look a certain way because and we even say capitalism is hell so actually i think we've done a lot more than typical tv shows tbh um what do you want to do next i mean if you tell us you're canceled well there's there's just too much too much um talent on the hoof here to lie fallow what do you want to do well, I want to create a show that really dives deep into how much money everyone is making in an office and whether or not they live in cars or apartments or houses. Okay. That Touché. will be my first. <laughs> I'm going to break that story as I leave NPR and I'm going to I'm going to sell that to Netflix and you're going to watch it and be like, Bye, "Hey, Polly. watch it. I'm going to be your series consultant." What are you kidding? No, you'll just you'll be the money coordinator. You'll you'll be like, "I need to see your bank statement. I need to see how much money you have in your account. I need to know what kind of car you drive and whether or not you could afford it." A Jetta, realistic. An Audi, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> not on what you're making. Not pal. on what you're making, lady. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm obsessed. Um, no, what's next for me? Okay, so I'm writing for the Queerest Folk reboot which is um, super exciting. And I'm also, I wrote a novel casually that's coming out next June and I'm working on the film adaptation for that, which we also hope to shoot on um, next year. So, oh, I also sold a show to HBO Max, which we're like waiting to hear back from dot, 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 dot for a long time. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot to have on your plate as far as getting everything polished, finished and ready to roll. Um, is that hard? That part? Um, no, I'm a type A Virgo workhorse from hell. So I love having 80 different things going on. I don't know. I mean, I just, I love writing. I'm like one of those psychos that like actually enjoys the process. So I also get bored pretty easily. So I need to go into different mediums and have different things to keep myself interested. Um, and I feel really lucky that I'm in a place where people are paying me for things because you know, what comes up must come down. Don't say that. And then I'll have that Jetta. <laughs> and then I'll be sleeping in my own car. <laughs> uh, editor's note, Ryan's not knocking people who drive Jettas. Uh, just just so we know, FYI. Well, you can bleep Jetta because we've already beeped Cock Sock. <laughs> so you can do, you can, I mean, honey, why not? Straight men are trash bleep. 
cocksock bleep, Jetta bleep. Yeah. I do think that uh, having a character of immigrant stock is so important in 2021 when tens of millions of Americans were born somewhere else in the world. Tens of millions more have parents who were born somewhere else in the world. And so much of TV doesn't include that. Or it includes it like an applique, like something that you iron on uh, to your to your trucker's jacket or something. It's just like a patch. It is a part of American life. And you, over time, take us on a lovely journey of Kim's inner life and dealing with being of the mainstream culture and just one step outside it at the same time. Well done, Ryan. Thank you. I mean, I think Ryan and Kim are both similar in that way. I mean, they just feel like one foot in one world, one foot in the other, and they're not quite belonging to either. And I think I think thematically, even bringing in Karen, it's like these three people who on their face seem wildly different. You know, you have a curvy brown woman, you have a woman in her mid fifties, you have, you know, a gay disabled person. Uh, What could they have in common? Well, they're navigating again, a world that is not built for them. And they're figuring out how to gather up the courage and the sense of agency to say, I want to be the girl with the most cake. You know, I want this and I don't want to apologize for it because I'm chic and you should have realized that by now. And if you haven't, that's your mistake. So it was really interesting thematically to kind of to do that thread between these three people, because, again, they are so different from each other. But I think when stripped to their bare bones, they want the same things. Kim is a wonderful person. (laughs) And as I sat and watched her, I thought it would be hard to be her boyfriend. Wait, why? uh... She sabotages relationships because she wasn't always confident that she was as lovable as she is. Yeah, but honey, isn't that very relatable? Like, what's been your dating journey? Have you always been like, I'm the best, like, live, laugh, love, like, you should be obsessed to date me, XOXO? I mean, if have, I'm addicted to you, honey. Well, no, no, but I was uh, watching her and thinking, oh, don't do that. (laughs) There was Harrison, uh, this lovely... Um, self-made, potentially tech bro, but maybe ultimately pretty decent guy. Yeah, and he's hot. You can say he's hot, too. He's hot. And he's he's hot, too. Yeah, that's Um, important. And I saw it coming. It's like knowing that a punch is coming. I thought, she is going to screw this up in part because she can't believe this hot, decent guy really likes her. So he's gonna, she's going to make him crazy so that in some weird way, it's not her fault that they're breaking up, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. She'd feel like a gut punch. I mean, that to me is very relatable. That was like the story with my current boyfriend, my, own, my first boyfriend, the one that I'm still with. I've been with him for six and a half years. And when I met him, I was like, oh my God, he's like low-key the best person I ever met. Because I had dated before and uh, it's so funny, even though I was like full self-loathing, I was like... I don't hate myself enough to spend time with someone who doesn't get me or I don't get like, like, no, like my self-loathing didn't run that deep. 
But um, when Jonathan, my boyfriend, came waltzing in, I was like, wait, he's like the best person I've ever met. And like, I'm not ready for this and I don't deserve this. So I broke up with him like a month in and then um, quickly realized uh, by going crazy, basically doing the thing that Kim does to Harrison, essentially. And then I realized the error of my ways pretty immediately. And I like begged him to take me back. It was very dramatic. And he did. And we're still together. Can you believe well, look, six years, that's pretty good. I think it's, a, yeah, it's great. Very impressive. So, yeah, it's great. I mean, and I think it's because, honestly, like, when I was getting back together with him or basically begging him to get back together with me, I was very upfront being like, look, I am f***ed up. I'm crazy. My neighborhood, like, my brain is an unsafe neighborhood to walk around in at night. But I will promise to show up for you the best way that I don't know how every single day. And... Honestly, when I said it, I didn't even quite believe it myself. I was like, well, or I could completely screw this up again. But he accepted me and all my flaws. And like, I think being upfront about everything that was wrong with me or what I perceived to be wrong with me, it just took the pressure off immediately. And then from then on out, it was like perfect. Well, that's a moment where you realize, oh, hey, this may be something. If I'm actually moved to be my best me, because I think it's so important to show that to this person. That's a pretty good moment. Well, changing is hard. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why people don't do it. There's a lot of reasons why you meet people and like who are older who you're like, have you ever looked under the hood? Because your hood's on fire, baby. You know what I mean? Um, because actually doing the work is unpleasant deeply and it's really uncomfortable living authentically is great 10 out of 10 would recommend but it also brings a whole new set of challenges and it's a lot easier just to remain frozen in your flaws and not you know ever really improve yourself um so yeah it takes it takes the right person for you to be like okay i'm gonna get the shovel and i'm gonna start digging and it's gonna suck but i get to come home to you every day so that makes it worth it so jonathan has seen the arc of the story to the new TV star, Ryan. How's he liking that? It's, he's miserable. He's, he, <laughs> he, he crochets SOS into all our pillows and then hands them to the guests. And he just prays that one day someone will get him. He calls me a disabled dictator. <laughs> um, no, he's really happy for me. He's super supportive. He's also a writer. His first novel came out actually the same week as special his novel, Yes, Daddy, which you should get anywhere books are sold. Uh, it was a really amazing week for both of us. It was definitely like one of those moments where we're like, this is the highlight reel of our life and it's all downhill from here. <laughs> or our plan. It's working. Yes. Go with that one. That's the healthier way to think for sure. But I think this <laughs> yeah, business think is so, so. Tra- this business is so traumatizing. I think like I, I just look, I've gone through periods of not working. I've I've had things that I thought were gonna work out that definitely didn't work out. That like basically I've come to a place where I'm so jaded that I don't I don't uh you know count I don't I don't start celebrating until the check has cleared. Do you know what I mean? It's it's so I always get like a little spooked out by a a, a string of successes because you just know that eventually it's gonna change. But you're right. I need to live in gratitude. Hmm. Well, you're 34, right? Yeah. So you didn't, you know, you didn't come uh, like a, a comet streaking across the sky out of the new school at 22 and have it all happen for you. You know, you put in your time. That must make it more satisfying. Okay. All I can hear is that you just call me old. Like that hurts so bad. <laughs> you know why I can do that? You're like, you're old as f- 
You literally, this I'm is where you should 64 be. I'm <laughs> 64 friggin' years old. I've been married longer than you've been alive. No, that's not true. How long have you been married for? 41 years. Okay, that is, wait, what? Hold yeah. the phone. Wait, babe, you were a child bride. Yeah, yeah. Babe, that's, ba- uh, people, wait, that's crazy. You were like placenta going down the aisle. People don't normally get married at the age I got married anymore. But back then, it wasn't that uncommon. But yes, I've been married a really long time. Oh my God, gorgeous. I can't imagine deciding on anything when I was 24 and then sticking with it. <laughs> but you did. <laughs> what, is she, what does she think of special? She liked it. She liked it, and she's um, she's a little bit uh, more prudish than I am, certainly. Really, and was um, was surprised. I wouldn't say shocked, but I'd say surprised. Uh, and um, can you tell her something for me? Be like, sure. Look, Ryan had to watch so many straight sex scenes growing up, non consensually. He had to see so many, and a lot of them, by the way, didn't even elevate the story. And he just had to sit there, and he had to take it. And now it's her turn to sit through some sex scenes. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, that's true enough. True enough. And you know, there are a lot of aspects of American life, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, where we don't give people who are part of smaller groups, smaller subsets of society credit for not only knowing to have, having to know their thing, the dance steps to their thing. And the mores and the folkways and the lines and the language of their thing. But they have to know everybody else's thing. White people have no idea how much black people understand about the white world because they have to live immersed in it. Straight people have no idea how much gay people understand about the straight world because they are very heavily the product of straight unions and grew up all around straight people and live in a world that still is dictated by the rhythms of of that way of life. It is, uh, you know, give people a little credit for being observant, will you? There's a lot of mental gymnastics. There's a lot of code switching. There's a lot of like, you anticipating how people are going to perceive you and then you figuring out how you're going to disarm them. You basically have to become MacGyver and like kind of like machete your way through a world that is not, you know, again, it's not made for you. Um, And I don't think I even was conscious of how much work I was doing before I would even enter a scenario until, you know, a few years ago. And then I would just like, you know, I'd see like a straight white guy that like, you know, go up to a barista in my coffee shop and kind of like give her a non-consensual story about the band that he was starting. And she like nodded pleasantly, but was like dying inside clearly. And I was just like, wait, how does this man not like take this woman's feelings into account? How is he not like hyper aware of how he's coming off? How could he be so oblivious? And then I realized I was like, oh, I've had to become so hyper aware of how people are looking at me. And, And then I've had to either combat their, you know, their preconceived notions or whatever. Like, like just, again, there's so much emotional labor at top that I wasn't even, that was just so sewn into the fabric of my life that I wasn't even aware of it, that I was doing it. Is there a point where you just say, you know, I'm resigning. I'm not going to do that anymore. Or do you always have to do it? No, once you get a Netflix show, it's easier. <laughs> 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 but who knows? Now that it's canceled, it might be really hard again. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> no, but seriously, is there is there a point where you say, "Look, I I'm not going to do this obstacle course 
people are just going to have to take me as I am and, and take people as they are. And my, part of my assignment in life is not making you feel comfortable. Yes. I mean, I think the acceptance of the show has completely changed everything for me. So like I was in Provincetown two, two, two summers ago because I go every summer because it's, you know, gay utopia. And uh, we went to the gay beach, which is just like hot guys in the dunes. And it's like such a schlep. It takes like an hour to get there. I'm like full Reese with this been wild, but it's like worth it sort of. And I was on my way back and I was like going up an incline and I was like, I kept falling because it's like an incline and inclines and CP don't mix. And I was like full, like, you know, in the mud and the sand, whatever, not chic, exhausted, sunstroke vibes, whatever. And uh, it was embarrassing because there were people that were passing us, you know, and moving forward. You know, I was really holding up the line. And uh, a group of like hot gays sauntered past me and were like, oh, my God, I love your show special. And I'm just like, again, I'm like full Samara from the ring, like, f- like just totally like a goblin, like caked in um the sun and sand and stuff. But I was like, and so my knee jerk reaction was to be obviously humiliated. And then I thought, wait, they love my show. They love this, my show that uh, I show, you know, getting I falling down. I show having trouble getting off of a bench. I have trouble opening mail, all of that of me, all the stuff that I was ashamed of. And they not only, you know, don't mind, they love me for it. And uh, that was huge for me. I, it sounds stupid, but like then people accepting my show and loving my show is by extension kind of loving me and accepting me, which, you know, I'd always longed for. Um, so it was incredibly meaningful to me. That doesn't sound stupid at all. That sounds like the opposite of stupid. <laughs> when you've been when you've been working toward um, both self acceptance and broader acceptance, and trying to figure out what it all means your whole adult life, and now people are cheering you in the dunes. Well, they didn't notice that you were caked with sand. They thought, "Oh my God, that's Ryan O'Connell." Right. Well, no one me in the dunes, so there's still work to be done. Look, you have to leave a little something left on the to-do list, right? You're only 34 years old. Come yeah, on. Yeah, totally. The to-do's list. Oh, God, kill me. I, <laughs> I, I worked on Will and Grace for a season. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Even more with Ryan O'Connell still to come. After a short break, he continues to give Ray the business about basically everything, and you do not want to miss it. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Do you sometimes wonder whatever happened to the kids at your school who really loved Star Trek? You might remember a kid like me, the one who read the Star Trek novels and built starship models. I also took music classes to avoid taking gym classes that required showering after, but I don't see what that really has to do with- Or a kid like me. I introduced myself to kids at my summer camp one year as Wesley, but when the school year started and some of those kids were in my new class, I actually had to explain to my friends that I had tried to take on the identity of my favorite Star Trek character. The shame haunts me to this day. I'm sure some of those Star Trek fans from your childhood grew up to have interesting and productive lives, but we ended up being podcasters. On The Greatest Discovery, you'll hear what happens to two lifelong Star Trek fans who didn't grow up to be great people, but just grew up to be people who love jokes as much as they love Trek. So listen to our new episodes every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Thorne. This is Bullseye. We're listening to Ray Suarez's interview with Ryan O'Connell. 
He's the creator of the Netflix show Special and the star of the new TV series Queer as Folk. Ryan, the character, as we mentioned, was hit by a car, and it's a plot device. Ryan, the human bullseye guest, was hit by a car and hurt, and you needed multiple surgeries. We get flashbacks from time to time through the two seasons without giving too much away, without it being a spoiler. I watched the final scene of season two closely. There's a sidewalk just 20 feet away, and you walk out into scene credits uh, in the middle of the street. And I just say, oh, come on. Is he asking for it? Get on the sidewalk, man. I care about you. Couldn't, wouldn't it have been a lot safer if you had just walked on the sidewalk? I'm obsessed with your close reading of the show. I'm obsessed <laughs> with the bees in your bonnet. You have many bees. I'm addicted to all the bees. I want to give them names. I want to have them their own bee colony. I'm obsessed. That's getting a series order on Netflix. Are those bees in your bonnet? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> bullseye. You've hit the bullseye, oh, baby. Oh, man. You know, I the mean, guy's been hit by a car. Honey, but here's the thing. No, you know what? Can I just say, as someone who's been hit by a car, I'm going to say something really revealing and not chic. There have been a few times where I've almost been hit by a car again. So you think it would be like, you live, you learn, Alanis. Um, But uh, no, I personally have not learned. I mean, I definitely look more than I used to, but there's definitely moments where I'm like in a fugue. And I come to, and I'm like, oh, ooh, was the light on? <laughs> My turn. I forgot. Like I, I get, I get very lost in thought. I like kind of space out, and that's been like a recurring theme, uh, throughout my life. And it's why I got hit by a car at the age of twenty. So like, I actually <laughs> deeply relate to Ryan walking in the middle of the street because getting almost hit by a car and then not going on the sidewalk is actually a very me thing to do it's very on brand and that's where me ryan the person intersects with ryan the character ah very good you know i when i was hit by a car i was okay it's very focus close. <laughs> stealing focus okay it's not a competition like what the f- <laughs> wait what was your story when, when i was hit by what a happened car, what happened i thought oh my i really because it, it life slows down and you see every frame per second in super slow motion. I even had the time to think, oh, wow, I'm getting hit by a car now. Every time I pass that intersection, which I do frequently, I think about getting hit by a car. I will, I guess I'll reach escape velocity when I no longer think, oh, here was, here's where I was hit by a car. It is um, not traumatizing, but just always etched uh, in a way that uh, I can't not think about it. Well, you so, know, listen, you can admit that it's your trauma. Uh, you can admit that it was traumatizing and still be straight. <laughs> so, oh, thanks, man. It's a safe space, babe. <laughs> it's okay, honey. You know, I know it's fragile. I know it's fragile. I know we all live in that prison, but uh, yeah, you can say it's traumatizing because it does sound like it's traumatizing. Also, getting in by a car is traumatizing. I think it is. There's no way to, for it to not be. Um, wait, were you okay, though? And obviously you were because you're talking to me now, but was it like bad? What was the vibe? Uh, I was basically one soft, one massive soft tissue injury from my shoulders to my ankles. 
uh, purple, yellow, red, every color under the sun, but I didn't break anything, which is kind of amazing. How old were you? Um, I was, um, how old was I? Uh, 48. Gosh darn. I was thrown a great distance by this car. My bicycle went in one direction. I went in another direction. And uh, yeah, I was I was hurting for a long time. I was on some some choice steroids. For, steroids? Because it was. Do you mean painkillers? Well, the steroids helped control the pain and helped control the swelling. It was the only way I could continue to work and think and get out of bed in the morning was being on steroids. It was that part was bad. Do you have any long lasting um, damage? Or are you okay? No, thank God. No, I, I am. Good. Fine now, yeah, but Good. boy, oh boy. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. And by the way, not to be this girl, but being injured, I didn't didn't kind of be like, wow, I'm like disabled for a little moment. This is like kind of crazy. Like, Yes, wow. yeah. it reminds you of the caprice of all this, the fragility of all this, how, yeah, all I was doing was riding my bike to work and I could have ended up dead. How's that for a plot device? You know, it's just, you just think, no, I'm just minding my own business. And here comes this lady. Um, yeah. yeah, it was one of those moments where uh, you really do think about all those things. Well, you know, oftentimes I wonder why disability has not entered the zeitgeist the way that gender has, um, gender identity, um, race. You know, we've had conversations deep in over the last five years in particular, um, there's obviously a very long way to go, but they are in the zeitgeist in a way that they weren't five years ago. There's a lot more knowledge and awareness and disability, which is huge. It's a huge portion of the population, uh, continues to get ignored, I think. And if I was to really think about why that is, because I because I do, because um, it is frustrating to see everyone evolve in their thinking in so many ways and how incredible that is. And then again, still see disability sort of frozen. I think people have a really hard time thinking about mortality. I think people are really scared because if you live long enough, the odds are you will become disabled. Um don't think people want to think about that. I think people want to be young and there's such an emphasis on vitality and also under the rule of capitalism, there's so much tied into uh, being able to, you know, be bigger, faster, stronger, be the best quote unquote worker. So I think disability is really, really triggering for a lot of people and it's easier for them to not think about it. Yeah. Indestructibility is a, um, is really not all that, folks, <laughs> and it's an illusion anyway. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a fallacy. Like that's, but that's the thing. Like I think it's an illusion that we've had to prop up and believe in um, to, you know, to make this happen, and um, we don't want to puncture that. Ryan O'Connell is the star of the Netflix series Special, the creative dynamo behind that series, and a delightful guest. <laughs> what a pleasure to have you on Bullseye. Oh my God, this was so, so fun. I mean, you like crack me up. Ryan O'Connell, folks. His show, Special, is streaming now on Netflix. You can go check it out there. His new show, Queer as Folk, is on Peacock. The first episode drops this week. Ryan was interviewed by the great Ray Suarez. You can hear Ray on the public radio show, World Affairs, which airs every week on air and online. 
He also has a new podcast, The Things I Thought About When My Body Was Trying to Kill Me. It's a guided tour of his cancer diagnosis and treatment and the lessons he's learned on his road to recovery. It's a great show. We're so grateful for Ray and for that recovery. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. I bought a mango tree at the farmer's market last year, and it was kind of doing along, not doing much. And then in the last six weeks or so, it has totally bloomed and blossomed and grown. It is extraordinary. I'm really looking forward uh, to having some mangoes in the next few years. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Tabitha Myers. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme music is by The Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation. Our thanks to The Go Team for sharing it with us, along with their label Memphis Industries. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find us there and give us a follow, and we will share with you all of our interviews. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Thanks for listening to Bullseye. NPR is doing its annual survey to better understand how listeners like you spend time with podcasts. Please help us out by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash podcast survey. All one word. That's npr.org slash podcast survey. All one word. Thanks.